Senator McConnell has described himself as the Grim Reaper. He's going to kill every bill that comes over from the House. And that, as, as our colleagues have said, turn the Senate into a legislative graveyard. But I have news for him. This legislation to protect the American people in terms of their health and, and financial well-being is alive and well with the American people. Alive and well. And he's going to be hearing from them. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi last week as Democrats celebrated the passage of a new health care package. Now, what listeners can't see is that as Pelosi was talking, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer was standing next to her, and standing next to him was Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester, the Delaware Congresswoman whose bill helped shape that package. And that's what I wanted to know, how Delaware's only Congresswoman ended up on that stage, helping influence Democrats' healthcare legislation. You'll hear that conversation in a moment, but just a reminder that you can check the show notes for links to legislation and articles about what we discuss. And here's my conversation with Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester. Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester, welcome to Politico Pulse Check. Thank you, Dan, and thank you to your listeners. House Democrats passed a package of Obamacare support, drug price reforms last week. Your bill, the Moore Health Education Act, was at the center of it. How does a package like that come together? Well, you know, first of all, there were two main priorities. Number one was shoring up and protecting the ACA, the Affordable Care Act. And then the second piece of that was really related to the high cost of drug prices. And so it was a package of bills, seven bills, that all came together. Um, Mine was the anchor, and that more stands for marketing and outreach. And it was really as a result of a 90% slash in the marketing and outreach budget for the Affordable Care Act. That the Trump administration pushed through. Exactly, exactly. And so um, really it was to try to immediately start dealing with the issues that relate to that people are seeing in their pocketbooks and in their homes and in their businesses. That was really the aim of that legislation. So your legislation targeting that that funding cut, restoring the funds that have been taken away for outreach and awareness, the Trump administration would say that those funding cuts didn't really matter, that enrollment overall in the Affordable Care Act marketplaces has been relatively constant, that it's more cost effective to get rid of the funding. You know, the interesting thing about how I got interested in this was that um, when I, in my first term, this is my second term, in my first term, I remember having the opportunity to do like some PSAs and some outreach on uh, the Affordable Care Act to get more people to enroll. I mean, we know that the more people that get in the pool, the less the risk and the lower the cost. Our cost can come down. And so the goal was to get as many people into the Affordable Care Act as possible. And in that first term, I started learning that there were um, restrictions on even the things that I could do. My senators were able to do a lot more outreach than I could. And so the more I looked into it, the more it became clear that when you shorten the amount of time that people can enroll, when you then take away the navigators who are the people that help individuals enroll. The folks who sit down and help you go through the enrollment process. Exactly. And then you slash the budget by 90%, you are going to have an impact on that enrollment. And the thing about it is that it's not like a person hears about open enrollment once and then they forget about it. I mean, I was actually head of state personnel in the state of Delaware, my home state. And every year, 
during open enrollment, we had outreach, we had marketing, we had events. And so why should this be any different? Not to mention, we were doing it in a cost-effective way. And, and I suppose the, the argument, too, is that the folks who are out there enrolling actively in the marketplaces are the sicker, the ones who really, people who really need this coverage. And it's harder to reach the people who might be on the fringes, who might be back and forth on whether they need to sign up for coverage at all because they're healthier. I, I wanted to just get into the play-by-play of how your bill became the anchor for this package. Did, did Nancy Pelosi, did other party leaders come to you, Congresswoman, and say, we want your bill here? Were, were you lobbying them? No, I, I, actually, I learned of it from our chairman, Mr. Pallone. And, you know, Frank I, Pallone, Frank Pallone, Commerce chair. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, I think part of it was the whole focus on the More Health Education Act. The fact that the more people we get covered, the more education that we have out there, back to the lower the cost for the average American citizen. And I think that's why it became sort of the anchor of, of the bill. So I, 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 you have the experience that very few Americans will have. When Nancy Pelosi is up there giving a speech, you're, you're standing right next to her as this legislation is being announced. Is there a moment where you're behind the scenes two months ago and you're jockeying with other members of Congress and saying, this is what I want for my bill to be part of this package? You know, it's really interesting because... First of all, I had to work to get on the Energy and Commerce Committee. This is your first time My on the committee. first yeah. time on the committee. And it was important for me to get on this committee because this is where health care is taking place. This is where climate change and environment. I'm on that subcommittee as well. And these are things that impact Delaware. And so first was like, how do you get on the committee and the work that it took in terms of reaching out to members of the Congressional Black Caucus. I'm a new Dem and I'm a progressive reaching out to them and saying, how did you do it? How do I get on here? You're, you're a member of the New Democrats as well as the Progressive Caucus, two different caucuses. Exactly. That this is a little inside baseball, but they don't always see eye to eye exactly. on things like Medicare for all. Exactly. Which was really important. I represent a whole state. I'm one of, you know, a few six members that represent a whole state. So I bring that whole thing with me. But then once we got the package of bills, each of us had individual bills that we had a markup, which is when we go through in our committee about the bills. And then the decisions are made um, it, within the leadership to package them. Number one, it it makes it a comprehensive package that we're putting forward. Number two, we were able to provide what is known as a pay for. Like you, we, we have rules now that you don't just put up a bill, you gotta find a way to pay for it as well. And so by putting all of these bills together in one package, we were able to balance it and come out with something comprehensive, but also paid for. This bill, uh, not just the more uh, education act that, that you pushed, but also the drug pricing reforms, my understanding is that this package will essentially be dead on arrival in the Republican Senate because of these Obamacare measures that they don't want to support. Why spend so much time on a package that likely isn't going to advance? Well, I think, number one, we made a promise to the American people. A lot of people voted for us in 2018 because we said we were going to shore up the Affordable Care Act. The bulk of calls that I get in my state, uh, when I travel up and down my state, people talk to me about this. I mean, small business people talk to me. The dental hygienist, while she was in my mouth, told me how much her premiums were, $440, and I did not forget it. And so... Well, I suppose then you really need to make sure something passes so she'll finish the I, work on your Let me on your tell teeth. you, I was a little nervous while she was in my mouth telling me this, but, you know, we made a promise and we wanted to come out strong, bold and from the very beginning. And the reality is 
what in my first term, I was around when there were so many efforts to repeal and replace, and there was nothing to replace it with. And it wasn't necessarily what we did here in Congress. It were it was people outside of here who came, the little lobbyists, the American Cancer Society, AARP. It was those groups that pushed. And those are the same groups that are going to have to exert their, you know, power right here in Congress. Well, you mentioned all those repeal votes that Republicans mm-hmm. held, and they ultimately weren't able to deliver on their promise to their voters because they never came up with a replacement that the repeal package didn't even make it through the Senate. What does success look like? Is it, is it simply holding these votes? Is that enough for your constituents, knowing that these aren't going to necessarily become law? You know, one of the things that I've learned since I've been here, you know, I come from a background where uh, I'm into governing. You know, I served as Secretary of Labor, head of personnel, and then I did the nonprofit side as the CEO of the Urban League. And so I'm I'm used to understanding what the system is, how it works, and then governing. And so what I think people can anticipate is that as we go through the next year, you may see different portions of this bill be taken. Because there is a common belief that we have to do something. There's a common understanding that we have to tackle the drug prices. Um, And so it's just a matter of the process. Last year, I got to participate in the farm bill. And I got to see what started out in the very beginning was not what ended up at the very end. And I got to work because of my past experience in saying these work requirements are underfunded, untested, and aren't evidence-based. Now I'm an actual, like, person here in Congress that can bring real life experiences. And the reason why healthcare is so important to so many of us is because it's personal. It is really personal. Look, me being here today, I decided to run on the anniversary of the passing of my husband, who at 52, vegetarian, worked out every day, went on a business trip, ruptured his Achilles tendon, and blood clots went to his heart and lungs. It was Earth shattering is the only word I could say, words I could say right now. But I remember the year after he passed, just hearing other people's stories throughout my state. That's what motivated me to get here. And that's why I fight for preserving the Affordable Care Act and moving forward, making it better. We all want some of the same things. It's just sometimes we have different ways of getting there. There is this bipartisan interest in drug price legislation. President Trump on Wednesday said he won't pursue deals on drug pricing and other bipartisan issues until Democrats drop their investigations into his administration. Is that the right trade to make? You know, it's interesting. I was actually uh, on the, on the in our committee today talking about an infrastructure package because people also want their roads, their bridges, broadband, their safe drinking water. And while I was there was when the president was basically holding a press conference to say, I'm not going to talk about this until you talk, get rid of this investigation. The president had a little bit of a meltdown with Nancy Pelosi and others. Yeah, a little. Threw threw out a meeting and said, I can't do anything on infrastructure until you stop investigating me. And, And again, I go back to the people. You know, this is unacceptable. This is an unacceptable way to govern. We cannot wait until 2020 or whenever whatever happens to be dealing with these issues that people sent us here to work on. And so to me, we have to keep doing our job. We have to keep reaching out to people external to Washington to say, call, write, come here. This is your house, the White House and the House of Representatives. 
You mentioned your time in state government. My understanding is that you are the only former state health regulator in Congress. Is that correct? That's my understanding, too. I, the, the only statewide. And I served as... We'll, we'll see if another congressperson yeah, jumps exactly, in right now to exactly. interrupt. Yeah. I say, served as Deputy Secretary of Health and Social Services for the state of Delaware. Hospitals have said that they can't survive on Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements alone. I'm curious, from your perspective, as someone who helped regulate a healthcare industry in a state, is that is that true? Is Medicare for all in a package that would essentially get rid of private insurance? Would that cripple hospitals? You know, one of the things that why I wanted to get on this particular committee, Energy and Commerce and the Health Subcommittee, is because we have a lot of different options out there that we're talking about. There are 180 million, I think it is, Americans right now that have health care through private insurance. And, you know, for some people, the question is, do you get rid of that and create a whole new system? Um, I think there are a lot of people, and I know there are, Kaiser Family Foundation has researched to show a lot of people like what they have. The, the goal here is to get to universal coverage and to make it affordable. And so whether it's the hospitals, like even us talking about a prescription drugs, it's interesting to hear how we're trying to understand why are the prices so high for certain things? And the complexity of the conversation can't be boiled down into a tweet. And that, that's, that's what makes it difficult. So to me, the issue is, how do you get to universal? You start off with shoring up the ACA. And then one of the things that I'm looking at is a, an ability to look at capping the cost across the board, whether you work for a private company, whether you're getting Medicaid, Medicare. We, we're looking at um, tying it to income. So this is an idea that, um, this is a teaser. I think that's what they call it in your business, a teaser. I'm not sure I've heard you speak on this. Yeah, yeah, I know. Nobody has. You got it first. So this is one of the things that we're looking at. And um, to me, we still have to deal with what's immediately in front of us, which is right now the tax on the Affordable Care Act. And that's dealing with people's pre-existing conditions. That's dealing with kids over 26. We got to save that. But right now, I'm also looking towards the future. Well, I'd be a bad reporter if I didn't jump on your teaser. When you say that you're looking to cap the cost, so hypothetically, let's say Jane Smith, she makes $100,000 a year. She lives in Wilmington. How would you be capping the cost of healthcare for someone like her? You're going to have me come back on, aren't you? Is that the deal? This <laughs> is like the deal. this is like when the dental hygienist that's is in your the, mouth, and now now deal. you're holding, you're dangling this out. That's the deal. That's the deal. But I'm actually working with uh, a, a couple of organizations and having internal conversations. Which in organizations? Our, have me back. I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you all about it. But but to be honest with you, I actually also am having conversations with other members of my caucus. Like uh, recently, I had uh, just a dinner with some CBC members to talk about. Congressional some Black of the Caucus co- members. Thank yeah. you, Congressional Black Caucus members. You know, one of the things that um, I have tried to do here as well is to get deep into some of these issues and um, and establish relationships, even across across party lines. Like I, I have bills that are actually bipartisan. Who's your best Republican friend? Ooh, that's like asking whether my son or my daughter is my favorite. I usually say my daughter is my favorite daughter. Are, my are, son's are my you comparing favorite. Republicans to your children? Because that seems like high praise. <laughs> well, for you it. said that I didn't, but I would say I I love. Um, 
Fitzpatrick from Pennsylvania. Uh, he's Modern been a Republican. Yeah, and he's it, he actually voted yes for our bill. He was one of the Republicans that voted yes for our health care health care bill, the More Health Education Act. And so um, there are uh, a lot of folks that I've been working with. I've got a new freshman, Guy Reschenthaler from Pennsylvania, who is partnered with me on a criminal justice bill that they passed in Pennsylvania called Clean Slate that is bipartisan. And then I've got Mr. Wahlberg, who works with me on uh, some some of the issues related to pensions. And I can't uh, throw I got to say Rodney Davis, who was actually with me on on ag. I, I take the point. You're popular across, across bipartisan lines. I have one yeah. more state regulator question, which is I've talked to Republicans and, and some Democrats at the state level who rumble often that Congress is creating laws that make it hard for them to do their jobs. You've been on both sides. What is the right balance between Congress creating a healthcare system versus giving states the flexibility to operate within that system? That is a great question. I mean, and especially having seen it from the other side, you know, there were times when we felt like they're giving us a block grant, but they're taking they're taking away half the money or they're being very prescriptive. And I think to me, one of the goals should be who you bring around the table to make the decisions. You know, if it if it's made by just those of us who are up here and aren't on the ground, because even myself, I don't hold myself out as a healthcare expert because it's been years since I was deputy secretary of health and social services. New things have come. Uh, one of the areas that I'm also interested in is value based uh, healthcare, so that instead of just paying somebody for a procedure, we're looking at the outcomes. Did the person end up sicker? And if so, give me my money back. You know, this is stuff that we really weren't talking about back then. And so I think bringing states to the table, having them be laboratories for what works. Delaware is a perfect state because demographically we represent the country. And even even politically, we're, we have a blue county, a purple county and a red county. So I think looking to the states, looking to those experts who are on the ground right now is where we get our best ideas. And we also get the feedback for what's not working to help us fix it. You've mentioned your state several times, Delaware. You have endorsed your fellow Delawarean. Is that how to say it? Delawarean? That's right, Delawarean. Joe Biden for president. Uh, he's been more moderate than some other Democrats on health care. He has not backed Medicare for all, for instance. Isn't he missing an opportunity to really fire up the base over an idea like Medicare for all? Well, I think what you will have from a Joe Biden, and I've known him for 30 years at least, um, and it's somebody who actually was there and was one of the primary people that got the Affordable Care Act passed. I mean, it was his relationships in the House and the Senate that were really helpful to moving that forward. And so he's going to want to protect this landmark legislation. That's number one. Number two, he's looking at the buy-in, the, 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 the ability for folks to buy into a Medicaid option or, you know, state buy-in option. And as we watch uh, coming down the pike, I think you'll be seeing more policy um, recommendations and strategies coming up. But I think the biggest thing is he wants to unite us and he wants to get stuff done. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're having right now in this very present moment is that not only are we divided, we're not getting things done. And that's what people want to see us do. And that's why I'm excited about him, because I know he has the ability to do it. He's done it in the past. And he understands that where we need to go for the future. 
taking all of that into account, your long relationship, your thoughts about about former Vice President Biden, we're still far out yes. from from the debates, from the nomination. Why not wait until we get a little bit closer and see where the different candidates shake out? You know, I'm the kind of person that um, I, I I've been called and I like it thoughtful. I am a thoughtful person. And I didn't even immediately just jump out there, even though I know Joe, like everybody in Delaware calls him Joe, I know him um, and have known him and have confidence in him. I didn't just jump out there. I literally, I asked for some time to meet with him one-on-one and ask him questions about where do you stand on this issue or that issue. And it was a conversation that was supposed to be 15 minutes, then it was scheduled for 30, when we actually met, it was two and a half hours. And in that conversation, I was, my hope was restored. And I think that that's, right now, some people, we're just exhausted. Like somebody said there should be a hat that says, make it stop, please. You know, people, I, 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 my hope was restored. And I think that's why we've seen what we've seen in terms of the, um, the outpouring of support, but you're correct. It is early. It is a long process. Um, debates and, and 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 everything else that goes along with it. But I think we're really fortunate to have an incredible group of individuals that have stepped up. What what he brings is uh, I've said it before. He unites people. He's People love him in the heartland and in Harlem. Like he is, 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 you know, what our country needs right now. So you mentioned you're the first woman, the first African-American to represent your state in Congress, though you were elected in 2016, not the big wave in 2018. What has it been like to see this big, diverse class of freshman Democrats come in? Have you have you helped advise any of them? Oh, my goodness. It has been beautiful. I mean, First of all, I came in in 2016, as you mentioned, and Delaware had never elected a woman or a person of color. And so... Check, check. Check, check. But I felt like, like I told you, it had been the passing of my husband. I felt like I needed to run at that time. And and we were in the minority. So it was a way different kind of feel being in the minority. Um, This time to see the diversity of members from all over the country, from different backgrounds, and what they bring. Like, they bring brilliance. Like, we have, you know, women from the CIA. We have, you know, two Native American women, two Muslim women, the youngest person in Congress. It is incredible because there's an energy that I, that it represents the people's house. And I, there are a few that are, are like, to me, they've asked, me, I'm their mentor and they're my mentee. Who? Uh, so uh, Sharice Davids from, from Kansas. Yes, she's one. Um, Johanna Hayes is one. My She's my CBC connection. Uh, Sharice was my New Dems connection. And, the, the, and there are, are others, too, that are just incredible. And I see them not, it's not just a mentor-mentee, but it's a peer mentor kind of relationship because they're bringing things to the table in the conversations. They're, they're, they are unapologetic and impassioned and experienced. What's one piece of advice you've given them? You know, I think one of the pieces of advice that I've, I've shared with them is, um, one is, I have more than one, because I, one is pace yourself. 
Um, it, it can get very overwhelming if you don't pace yourself. Uh, another piece of advice is establish relationships. Um, see people as people and try to establish relationships because especially when you're trying to get sponsors for bills and things like that, it's good to have, have those relationships. Um, you know, the other is it is almost like being in college coming here because literally I'm taking home binders of books and things like that. And, 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 you know, and the, the subjects change very quickly. And so just do your best. You know, you're representing the people. You know, I, I remember this past week, right before the healthcare vote, I got to preside over the House, the Speaker's office asked, and I got to hold the gavel. And the first time that I did that was in January, and I was so busy worrying about, will I make a mistake? Will I, will I embarrass my state? How does my hair look? Like, I was like so, so concerned that I didn't appreciate that present moment. So last week, I really took it in. And so I say to them, take it in. You are one of 11,000, I think 73, something like that, people in the history of this country that has had the opportunity to represent. Breathe, take it in, do your best, and give it your all. That's it. Do we have time for one more question? Nope. I got to go vote, and I got I have my heels. Okay, so. <laughs> Congresswoman, we'll let you go vote. Thank you so much for your time. Thank and you. We'll talk to you again. But I'll soon. be back. I'll be back. Right. I'll hold you to it. All right. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Representative Lisa Blunt Rochester, Kyle Morse, and other folks in her office for making this conversation possible, and Mikaela Rodriguez at Politico for producing the show. If you like Pulse Check, you can help us. Search for Politico Pulse Check on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Leave us a rating or review. That's how new folks can find the show. You can find me at ddiamond at politico.com by email. And you can find a new episode of Pulse Check in your podcast player next week.